I'm sure a few others will be joining us. So we'll go ahead and get started. Welcome to Cornerstone, everybody. Most of you here, I'm assuming, are already familiar with Cornerstone. Uh, but for anybody who just might be new, these sessions that we've been having on Sunday afternoons are an extension of the ministry of the word and the prayer that happens on Sundays. And today we will be covering the last of our premarital curriculum. And it'll actually be our last cornerstone meeting as well, uh, at least in the current format. We may continue having other Sunday teaching times in the future, but at least for this season, this will be our final session. And uh, like we always do, it is an opportunity for us to hear from one another um, as well. Um, so I'd like to ask a few of you to share one thing the Lord has been teaching you and one thing that we can be praying for. So again, just to give you guys a few more moments to think about it, um, I'll be asking a few of you to share um, one thing the Lord has been teaching you and uh, one thing that we can be praying for for you. Okay. So let's see who our, uh, our volunteers will be for today. Um, let's see. Okay, I was asked to choose some of the uh, couples who have recently welcomed children in, but I don't see any of them here unless I'm missing them. So we'll have to go to our backup plan here. Um, all right, uh, JC, I see you. So would you mind sharing with us um, how you've been doing recently, what the Lord's been teaching you and how we can pray for you? Uh, hello, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, what the Lord has been teaching us for me and Kat. Uh, she's not here, but... Um... I'm here. I'm here. Oh, Kat is here. So <laughs> join us. Yeah, sorry, Kiana's sleeping. She's napping, so... Um... Yeah, one thing that the Lord has been teaching us. And uh, what's that, the other question again? Just how we, yeah, just how we can pray for you. Oh, yeah. Um, well, go first. Well, um, today's sermon was super good. Like, I was so blessed and encouraged by it about being reminded yeah, that, um, you know, the, the root of all our idolatries <laughs> and sins, our, our unbelief of the goodness and, and um, God's loving kindness to us. And so it points back to the gospel where, um, you know, the, the love of Christ um, has been shown. So that's been just one of my reflections for, for the week, remembering that we are, um, you know, God wants us to trust him, that he loves us ultimately. And, um, you know, it, it's been proven at the cross. So prayer requests for our family. Um, uh, just for God's direction for us in the upcoming, um, uh, maybe just even for the summer, um, both of us are joining the book club and we're really excited to be with the church family that we're going to be with. So, um, yeah, just, you know, God being glorified during um, that time. Yeah. Uh, for me, the, the Lord has uh, taught me to uh, really trust in him, like uh, the past semester. Uh in connection to what Kat mentioned, uh, you know, certain idols need to be uh, were, uh, were, were revealed in, you know, particularly in how I handle my time. Uh, basically, uh, I'm a hoarder of time, basically. So I like my schedule in a certain way, but the Lord revealed that I have to trust in him, even though, you know, certain plans that I have are not being met. It's, 
you know, how I respond to those things is, you know, something that I need to grow in. So, so by God's grace, it's, it's really good. So, and speaking in connection to that prayer request. Um, yeah, I just pray for my dad. Um, based on my schedule, I want my dad to move here in the Philipp- uh, from the Philippines to here. So I just pray for us about that. So yeah, we're trusting in the Lord. Okay, got it. Thanks for sharing, guys. Um, let's see, who else have we got here? Let's see. Um, let's, we have Eric and Lisa. I see you guys on my screen as well. So let's go to you guys, if you guys can share um, one thing that the Lord's been teaching you. Uh, it could be both of you, if you'd like, um, or one of you to share on behalf of both of you. And one way that we can be praying for you. Um, for us, uh, something that's, uh, that we're uh, learning and uh, reflecting on is this past semester, or this past school year through Logos, and what we've been learning through First Timothy, um, in particular, just really the sufficiency of God's word, and it's really um, how um, we are, uh, we can only... Um, you know, learn um, and grow and understand through God's, um, through what God teaches us really. And, you know, through what God uh, grows, even, you know, other individuals and in in our lives, it's really his doing. And um, yeah, and just being prayerful in that and for us to be diligent in our own studies and also um yeah it's just the sufficiency of god's word in that way um and um yeah do you want to add on top of that yeah i think something that's been just really encouraging is um yeah kind of going along with what eric said that just being reminded that ultimately it is christ who um does his work in our hearts and in our lives and just seeing that, um, yeah, there's nothing really good that can come in and from us, but really from Christ alone and from the work that Christ has already done. And so you can just be praying that we'll continue to, um, yeah, just to walk in faith in those ways to be faithful. Um, And even as we think about the unbelievers in our lives and unbelieving family members and considering like even um, aging parents and how to consider the future, um, how to love them and care for them. I think that's been something that's been on our hearts. Um, so you can be praying for us um, to, for wisdom from God and his word in those specific ways, but ultimately just to be faithful um, and to trust him. For sharing. Uh, let's get one more set of people here. Um, I see Danny and Kristen. Let's uh, hear from you guys. How, how have you been doing? What has the Lord been teaching you? And how can we be praying for you? So um, for both of you, or if you'd like to just one person share on behalf of both of you, that would be good as well. All right. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's been a really good season, you know, like uh, just you know, preparing for marriage, I feel like, yeah, that's, that's just been a huge thing for us. Um, but, 
you know, we're just learning to walk by faith and really trust God with uh, all the plans. Cause you know, plan planning for a wedding, uh, in COVID era is, uh, definitely a lot different. Uh, there's a lot more uncertainties, um, being thrown in and, uh, you know, a lot of unexpected, uh, things that we've had to kind of work through, but I think just, just working through those things together has been really reassuring just for our relationship. And it's just, uh, just given more, given us more like affirmation that, you know, we, you know, we're, we're to be together and, um, you know, working through the premarital, uh, like married for God book has been really great. And, you know, just giving us, um, you know, just the greater perspective on marriage and, you know, what, what we're entering into in a few short months, but um, yeah, it's, it's been a sanctifying time, uh, you know, just learning uh, just how to be patient with one another and, um, you know, just uh, being, uh, you know, being aware of, you know, your selfishness and just, you know, thinking about the other person. So um yeah, I think that's for, I guess, me. Is there anything you want to add? Yeah, it's been a good season. I think just understanding um, God's design for marriage and understanding, um, you know, the importance of the covenant relationship in marriage, I think has been really good for us to just learn about and go through. And I think even for my own part, just preparing myself um yeah, to become a wife and um, just trying to transition to as um, there's just been a lot of busyness in this season. I am finishing up my second semester of graduate school and I'll be starting um, a new semester in the summer. And then um, right after we get married, I'll be starting um, an internship in the fall. So there's just a lot of big life transitions um, as I prepare, you know, in the next coming months. So I think just preparing my heart and really trusting God um, in this next season and really, um, you know, looking to him for strength and not relying on my own strength or my own wisdom or any practical worldly wisdom, but, um, remembering that God has given us, um, all we need in him and to, um, you know, be looking to his word and going to the word with, um, Danny together so that we can, um, you know, uh, yeah, just like make decisions that are according to his will as we prepare for the future. So there's just been a lot of things. It's been a really busy season for both of us. Um, but I think we've been really trying to prioritize our time um, in the word together. And that has been really fruitful. So we're very thankful for that. It was great to hear. Thanks for sharing. Um, well, I would love to pray for everybody who shared today. Um, so let's go ahead and bow our heads and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. You are a good God and you have blessed us so much, Lord, to a point where none of us can um, are ever justified in complaining or grumbling about the things that are in our lives, Lord. But truly, you have um, been gracious to us. You have shown us your favor. And even the things that uh, people have brought up here uh, as prayer requests, Lord, we can see your goodness in it, Lord. So we thank you for that. I, th I pray for JC and Kat. And I just thank you for the ways that you are working in them and particularly allowing them to be involved in the ministry of our church. Um, I pray that you would provide them direction in the upcoming months um, in terms of ministry and, and also just the, the joy of being able to participate in book club. 
We know that that will be a fruitful time, and I just pray that you would bless those times that they have with other church members and other uh, attenders, Lord, as they as they look into um, this book and as they consider what principles that they can draw from it uh, for our own lives, Lord. So we thank you for the opportunity that they will have, and I just pray that you would bless them through that. Lord, I also want to pray for Eric and Elisa. Thank you so much for your word in their lives. I thank you that your word is a part of their lives and a central part of their lives. And I pray that it would continue to be so. And not only uh, just the time that they spend in it individually or together, Lord, but the, the blessings that they have in walking in obedience to your word as well. I just pray that they'd be able to walk by faith, Lord, and not in their own flesh, Lord. And I just pray that they would be, they would see the results of that. Not that things will always turn out the way that they may want initially, Lord, but walking by faith um, is something that at times can be costly and at times may not seem um, as if things are turning out the way that we would want. But Father, we know that it's, things will turn out the way that you intend and the ways that are best because you care for us and you desire to walk in your blessing as well by faith. So we thank you for their conviction to do that. And I pray that you would help them to do that uh, in this next season. Um, we pray for the unbelievers in their family, Lord, and we know that not everybody is saved um, around us and for them in particular, Lord, I pray that you would bring salvation to their family members. Um, and even as they enter a phase of life where they need to start thinking about caring for um, older family members as well, Lord, we know that this can even be an avenue for the gospel to reach them as well. So thank you, Father, for the opportunities that you are giving them and that you will continue to give them. And may your gospel and your name um, be glorified as they as they walk by faith. Lord, I also want to lift up Danny and Kristen. I thank you so much, Lord, for blessing them with their engagement, Lord, and the excitement and the joy that they have uh, in anticipating being married. Thank you for all the things that you're teaching them. Um, even now in the season preparing for marriage, there are so many lessons uh, that we can learn. And I just thank you for teaching them these lessons. Um, we know that um, this time of a lot of uncertainty for the future, Lord, whether that be just the uh, the act of planning a wedding, Lord, and all the uncertainty does uncertainties that come with that in the era of COVID. I uh, just pray that um, they would trust in you, that they would know that um, you are in control of all things. You are sovereign and that nothing catches you by surprise, even though it may catch us by surprise, Lord, but you know what you're doing and you have a reason and a purpose for uh, all that you are allowing into their lives right now. Uh, we just pray for this upcoming season. We know it's a busy season. And as Kristen mentioned, uh, just finishing up, um, her program and getting married and all sorts of things all coming at once, Lord, it can be a time where it can be difficult to, uh, we can be overwhelmed by the things that are coming our way. But Father, I just pray that you would be the anchor, that you would be the center, that you would be the rock of her life and also of their marriage. Um, and I just pray that uh, they would experience the goodness that even when things change in our lives, circumstantially, Lord, you are the same and you are faithful, Lord. So we thank you for all of these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, Mark, I'll go ahead and hand it off to you, and you can take us um, for this next portion here. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to switch over to my slides here. And... Uh... Okay, well, let's... A little sad that this is sort of the end of Cornerstone this season, 
and uh, we'll take a break over the summer and hopefully, uh, Lord willing, in the fall, um, we'll see what the Lord does. The aim is to continue Cornerstone um, and uh, the aim is to do so with the help of the elders and probably in the morning session from 1130 to 1230 after church. That's where we're going to shift some of the uh, time and still the same focus, building lives and families on Christ and his word. Um, and some of that, I think, is going to be geared together with Ted's help on equipping parents and shepherding their children um, and shepherding the home and equipping men to, uh, in a discipleship format, to uh, lead in the home as well. And uh, then hopefully, Lord willing, too, next uh, fall as well, I still would like to, if possible, continue uh, perhaps some afternoon sessions, Lord willing um, with some of the interviews that we do with some of the pastors who are from around um, around the states and with uh, Ricardo if he's in Colombia has agreed to join us sometimes with him as well so please keep on praying for Cornerstone it's been a blessing for me personally and it's been a joy just to be able to spend Sunday afternoon with you uh, around the gospel and building our lives together on that and our focus today is, is, is really, um, it's really the second part of stewardship. The first part of stewardship we did as far as members go, and we focus on an individual level, but what happens with families? What happens with kids? What happens with work? And certainly one of the trajectories a little bit, and many churches go through this challenge. Many, many churches go through this challenge. There's two of them that come up fairly significantly. One is that there can be quote unquote, a disappearance of our couples after they get married or they have kids, okay? Uh, you know, the responsibilities explode. Things get very, very heavy. You're treading water just to survive, whether it's being married, moving to a new place, uh, both with being married, but also starting a family, okay? And, you know, the fellowship gets broken, Okay, and it doesn't cruise along in the same way. And the other thing that comes is service in the local church changes. And there can be extremes that happen with that as well. I've had folks who come in who have just felt burdened and guilty because, you know, prior to having kids or prior to be married, they were in something like a college ministry where they were out four or five nights a week in ministry or discipleship or together with others. And suddenly things change and it's like, okay, well, what do I do? Am I still honoring the Lord if I'm not out three to four nights a week with the people of God? But how do I juggle this? What do I do as far as, uh, you know, my wife's unhappy because I'm spending so much time out or my husband's unhappy because I'm spending so much time. So there are those aspects. And then there are the aspects and the challenges that come up with the question of physical intimacy. That's a big thing that comes up as well. Uh, where you know, there's shame, obviously, associated with that. People aren't sure how to deal with it or address it. And it'll come up in counseling where one spouse or the other spouse is, uh, you know, concerned or feels that things are not going right. And how do we deal with it? And where do we deal with it? And there can be a bit of a myth a little bit. And the myth is really, and, and I, I'm sure some of this is deferred thinking a little bit, um, that it'll all get sorted out after we get married or we get there, okay? And, and I think that myth frequently gets debunked both in stewardship and ministry 
and uh, just life in general, that if we're not walking well with God and we're not growing in Christ, okay, marriage or having kids or having a family doesn't suddenly miraculously make everything better. Marriage does not miraculously turn uh, a selfish person into an unselfish person. Marriage doesn't turn someone who's not giving financially or of their time or of their heart, suddenly they're the big giver. And marriage and family doesn't take someone who has, you know, perpetual conflict or they deal with conflict by withdrawing or lashing out uh, or even being manipulative. Suddenly it doesn't automatically get transformed with a family. What does happen as our responsibilities expand, as God blesses us, and because that's what marriage and family is, as God blesses us, is it actually exposes our selfishness, our idolatry, and the places we come up short in our walk with Christ. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. There's increased stresses on those things. And suddenly we begin to discover, oh, I'm a pretty selfish person, you know, because before I was thinking of, and so Singles, this is as much for you as it is for the married couples. And even if some are never married, the aim at the end of the day is that we would be pleasing to Christ. Remember that marriage is temporary. By marriage being temporary, Jesus makes the point that when we're resurrected, we will be like the angels. And, you know, we're not going to be given or taken in marriage in the eternal state. This is... Christ's ministry to us where we get a chance to exemplify the gospel, okay? And what's important at the end of the day is Christ. That is what it's all about. That is our treasure. That is our, he is our joy. He is our gift. And marriage and family and singleness, as we read Paul, and we're going to read him shortly, it is all a gift from the Lord. Now, that's important to consider, too, that singleness in its way has a way of stressing the system and exposing our selfishness too, but it does so in a little bit of a different way. It also stresses and exposes our relationships and how we handle our lives, whether our lives are given to the Lord or they're about being, or, or about taking for us, okay? So, all right, Danny, you're on my screen. So you get to be the blessed man to read for us, John 13. 21 through 38. John 13, 21 through 38. Gospel stewardship in the home. All right. Uh, John 13, 21 to 38. After, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, 
what are you going to do, do quickly? Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow, will not crow till you have denied me three times. Thanks, Danny. You know, the question is we consider every relationship, okay, every relationship. Are you a Judas or are you like Jesus? Are you like Jesus in your love or are you like Judas? And as we think about John 13, the context of this, this is obviously as you go back earlier in your Bibles, you see it starts with the Lord's Supper. It follows with Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, doing a job that no one wants to do that's for the lowest of servants, the icky, dirty job. And he also draws that connection about washing and being washed with the word. But the need of disciples within the church, and that's all of us together, to wash one another's feet. That means we've got to get our hands dirty and do the business that nobody wants. You know, we had a discussion with some of the new parents today at, at lunch, you know, and that, that idea for the guys to get your hands dirty and to change diapers and deal with that. Okay. And, and yeah, when you stretch that even further, all right, you say within the local church and dealing with one another's sin. Okay. Dealing with stuff that people cover up and hide and that stinks and nobody wants to deal with. All right. And, you know, there's this issue. Are we going to be like Jesus? What is the love of Jesus like? Well, he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He sets the standard for what love is to be. Okay, well, we know it. We've heard it so many times, right? But what he goes on to point out is Peter would like to love that way, but he's unable to do it. He makes the point at the end, I'm going to lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'm going to love you in the way you just asked me to love. He's all there. His desire is to do it. But he discovers that without Jesus, without the Spirit of God, and without faith, he cannot do it. He's incapable of doing it. And so we come back to the big picture that we talked about. Look, marriage, family, relationships. God has designed all of these things to be part of the church, 
for believers and to be a reflection or an image of the gospel. And like, you know, the picture that I've taken from Lane and Tripp, okay, we're either going to be thorns where what we're giving people are scratches all the time. We're like Judas, okay? And it's interesting to see that Jesus washed, it looks like Jesus washed Judas's feet right before he betrays him. No bitterness, no complaints. He just kind of rolls it out. This is the way it is. And this is the magnitude of Christ's love, right? You know, I mean, would you go and serve food and hang out and spend time with the person who you know is going to betray you with a kiss? Be hard to do, but Jesus did it because his love is from above, okay? Are we going to trust in God? Are we going to walk by way of the cross? Are we going to be with Jesus? Is he going to be Lord of our lives? And if so, he's going to grow us by bringing sunshine into our lives and bringing heat into our lives and stressing the system. But through that adversity and through those difficulties, there is going to be rich fruit that is going to come. And the idea of fruit is that you give it as a gift to others. It's not for you. You don't have a fruit tree in your home and you sit there and you've got all this fruit and say, okay, we're going to do it all for ourselves. And nobody's going to be able to take any of it. It's this idea that you're going to give to others the good news of the gospel, this new life that Christ has given you. Okay, that's why Christ has saved you, that you should be fruitful. That's John 15. So look, we understand that in principle, but how does it play out in our relationships, whether you're single or married? Okay. As we look at the points here, I think we need to be reminded, okay, it's Christ and his word that rules our lives. It's Christ and his word that is to rule the church. It's to rule the leadership of the church. It's to rule every aspect of the church. And the church is the household of God. It's the family of God. It's not our biological families. Our biological families very frequently are our mission field, okay? We need to honor our parents, but we forget, look, we belong to Christ. That's what we learned this morning. And every aspect of our life belongs to him because we've been saved. He's given his life to purchase us. He paid the price. Nobody else has paid the price. And what that means is our relationships, every relationship we have, the relationship on the elder board, the relationship between members, the relationship with the children in the church, every relationship we have is a gift from God that belongs to him. That means it comes under the authority of Christ and his word. And that means that relationship has been given to us as a gift so that it can reflect Christ's love, not our love. Okay. And so the question is, we kind of look at it and, and we can forget, okay, because we live in a world that raises us to take. And our flesh and our pride is about taking things. It's about making ourselves great, making a name for ourselves. Okay, it's about getting what we want, getting the and and as we go through life, we see this is kind of how most people have been raised. We get married, we get the kids, we get the house, we get the vehicles, we get the vacation, and it goes like that. Okay, and we've got to stop and say, okay, that's a different type of love. That's a Judas love. That's let me grab the money bags and let me get out of here. And let me handle my business. Okay. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, in every relationship, whether you're single or married, are we giving life like Jesus? And that giving of the life, when Jesus gave his life, he gave it to God the Father, and he gave it to those, his disciples, who he died for. He gave it to the church. 
Okay, and that giving, brothers and sisters, it starts before you're ever in any relationship, before any child shows up. If you're already having a hard time serving and being accountable in the local church, it's not going to get easier when kids show up. Okay, those patterns exist long before. So are we giving and laying down our lives? Do we believe that our lives and everything we have, our time, our energy, our money, our work, our intimacy, okay? Do we believe even as singles? And here's a big issue. What do we do when we're alone? Who does that time belong to? We're kind of raised a little bit in the world to say that's none of your business. That's my time. I've worked hard. I've given to the church. I put my check in the offering plate. Okay, this is my time. This is my time to watch ESPN. This is my time for the basketball. This is my time for A, B, and C. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. This is my reward. This is my time. Guys, how well does that work after you get married? You know, you find very quickly, okay, that those things, my time becomes quickly an offense or a hurt, all right, to those who are close to us, even among roommates, as you try and make a housework. You quickly discover, well, my time, what exactly does that mean? Where are the boundaries, okay? And what we see is, look, Jesus is our example, and he's our power. The love of Jesus is one which says to the Father, like, how much did Jesus hold back from the Father? How much did he hold back from you and I? He gave it all, okay? And so then the question comes up, Pastor Mark, you know, am, am I going to be someone who's going to be, you know, a doormat, who someone's going to walk over, okay? One of the things that we need to be reminded of is the safest place in our life is where Christ is present. And the safest place in our life is when we are loving by faith like Christ loves. Because that perfect situation where everybody's giving and nobody's taking and everybody is thinking or esteeming the other more important than themselves. And that extends to all our relationships in the church. Okay. That is a place where we don't have to worry or fear. Okay. We can give freely because Christ seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now that's the principle. Well, what happens when there's a Judas among us? Well, Jesus shows the example. He has no fear. He will suffer. But he ultimately knows that the Lord is going to handle things because Judas is not greater than his father who is in heaven. And he knows that the Lord is going to make things right. We will suffer in marriage. We will suffer with family. We will suffer in this life. But when we're a child of God, we know that when the Lord allows those things to happen, he's going to use it for good and not for evil. And he's going to bring fruit. And in due time, good is going to come that's going to give life to others. Okay? So look, these are the fundamental principles. And I go over them over and over again is because, look, we are all selfish people. We all struggle with the flesh. We all struggle with pride. It gets harder when we're tired. It gets harder when we're stretched thin. It gets harder when the Lord presses us. And he does so kindly and graciously to show us our need for him. And that's the end of John 13, where he explains to Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to betray me three times. And in the bigger picture, 
Who is it who ends up being the apostle who helps shepherd those who are suffering for the name of Christ? Very interesting. First Peter and second Peter, it's Peter. And he's a beautiful and he's a gentle and he's a gracious shepherd. He doesn't stick it to people. Oh, you got to suck it up. Oh, you got to suffer more. Oh, you got to give more. No, when you read first Peter, it's remarkable how gracious, how gentle, how kind, and yet how firm he is on showing believers a place for love, even in the midst of suffering and duress. And brothers and sisters, when you look at the heart of what we're talking about, about gospel stewardship, the measure of our stewardship and giving, our time, our work, our money, our intimacy and kids, it's not giving when we have everything under the sun. All the time in the world, I give you some. All the money, I'm a billionaire, I give you some. All of this, that, and the other thing, I give you some. Guys, the the test of our love, okay, is when it seems like from the world's perspective, we have absolutely nothing. What are we willing to give? And when we look at Jesus, okay, when the world took everything from him, he did not withdraw or lash out, but instead he gave everything. And he did so in love. And that's his desire about what our relationships in the church would look like. That's his desire, what our relationships in our marriages would look like. And that's what our desire, his desire would be for our families, for every aspect of the church. That's what sets the church apart. Now, are we there yet? No, we're not. Okay. But if you look at Ephesians 5, 1 through 10, have a look at that with me. Ephesians 5, 1 through 10. I'm going to read this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. That was Judas, right? Greed. And those things go hand in hand, immorality and purity. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Focus in on verse 10. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay? The idea is that this is an ongoing action. We will never stop learning from Jesus how to love one another. We're never done. Okay, and the moment we think we're done in learning how to love Jesus and learning how to love one another, brothers and sisters, it's game over. Okay, so where it starts with is, okay, listen, we need to learn how to love one another. We need how to learn how to give to one another. We need how to learn how to forgive one another like Jesus did by faith. And it's no surprise when you wide angle lens Ephesians Five, and you go back to Ephesians 4, this is to be done in the context of the local church where the leadership of the church is equipping you. We need discipleship. We need shepherding. 
we need to be corrected. And I can't tell you how many times I've been thankful for older godly men who have come alongside and on occasion, my father who said, Mark, you're being selfish here. This is no way to handle this situation, either with this brother or your family or your kids or whatever. And I'm thankful for that. And it's not a shame, brothers and sisters, when we see who we are, okay? And we're willing to admit that. Where does that come, okay, with regards to physical intimacy, okay? And I think we've got a wide angle lens to this. We have a way in our society, <clears throat> most of our interactions with regards to intimacy, sadly, are informed first by media, uh, by movies, and now, by extension, a lot of it has become informed by pornography, okay? It's an acceleration of those things. We have to be honest. Look, this is our generation. We're children of the sexual revolution. We're actually grandchildren of the sexual revolution that began in the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, the focus on uh, relationships is hypersexualized and made in a hyper-physical way. There was an interesting article this weekend that came out with the whole friends reunion, right? That happened. And this is being written by an unbeliever. And the unbeliever made the point that friends presented this idealized picture of friendship that doesn't exist that we all seek after. Okay. This idea of unity, of intimacy, of friendship, of emotional support and connection that everybody yearns for. But in fact, is a lie. Let's be honest about it. And as we think about what we aspire to, many of our expectations, they are informed by film and media. Okay, that's the world. And what the world does is on media is it shows the physical aspect because that's about all they can show. And they accelerate it and they show, okay, the consummation of a physical relationship is the affirmation of success. Okay, that's when you've made it. That's when you've arrived. That's when you have everything. Okay, that's what all the rom-coms they're building up to. When we come with Christ, he brings us into a new world in a new way. Okay, he transforms it. You are not working for your partner's love. You are not working for your partner's approval. You don't buy flowers so they will love you more. You don't serve them so they think you're a better person. We have it all backwards, okay? What's the gospel? Here in his love, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see that every aspect of our relationship, including the physical part, is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. It's a gospel gift from God, including physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. And it's part of a bigger picture that is anchored in the person of Christ. Okay, when we separate physical intimacy from Christ and our walk with Christ, it becomes distorted and it becomes ugly and it becomes selfish and it becomes greedy, just like every other aspect of our lives. But when we're walking well with Christ and he is our Lord and every aspect of our life is given to Christ and his family, the church. Giving people are giving people. Okay. Giving people are giving people, whether it's church on Sunday, with their buddies, with their friends, or in the bedroom with their spouse. It doesn't change all of a sudden. And I walk into the bedroom with Julie and suddenly I become super Jesus. 
Whereas before, basically, I'm diffing everybody and saying, oh, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or you help me here, or I'm taking advantage of people, and everything is geared towards serving me. It doesn't happen that way, guys. And that's one of the reasons the first year of marriage and the first year that kids show up sometimes can be very challenging. Because what we discover by God's grace through that is, well, actually, I'm a pretty selfish person. And I'm a lot more selfish than I thought I was. I actually think about myself and what I want and my expectations a lot more. And, and, and we always thought that way. It's just now it's getting challenged with someone else's expectations, your spouse or your children. And you're there with the choice. A lot of people will tell you, oh, marriage is about give and take. Marriage is about give and take. And that's a lie. Okay? That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit. Okay? Because a Christian marriage, okay, is about Christ. We don't do a bartering system. We don't exchange physical intimacy. We don't exchange schedule on the time. You get to hang out with the girls. I get to do sports night. I get to work late on my job, but you get your vacation and your shopping spree. No, that's, that's the world, okay? The choice that comes when expectations clash, okay, is am I gonna love Christ or am I gonna love myself? Relationships, brothers and sisters, Gospel relationships are not 50-50 give and take. They're 100%, 100%. 100% given to Christ, and because of that, 100% to please Christ and to please my spouse. And when it comes to physical intimacy, our bodies belong not to ourselves, but it belongs to Christ, and it, but they belong to our spouses. Did Jesus, you know, when you think of what did Jesus do with his body? Now, we're raised very differently. In the world, we're raised to think, okay, what happens with my body? That belongs to me. A woman's body belongs to a woman's body, okay? You get to say what happens and what does not happen. This idea reeks of abuse and men taking advantage of women. But that's an incomplete perspective. When we come in to God's word, okay, what we see and what we discover is this idea of, Unity and holiness in Christ, what the church is supposed to be about, is what our marriage is and what the marriage bed is supposed to be about. Unity and holiness in Christ. We're to be together. It's a beautiful thing, but we're protected by the holiness of Christ. Nothing impure is to come into the marriage bed. Nothing impure is to come into the house. Nothing impure is to come into any aspect so that what we give is a holy gift. And that, brothers and sisters, includes this idea that our bodies, including our time and including the children that come in our home, they don't belong to us. They belong to Christ and they belong to his church. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Eric, I see you on my screen. Eric Lau, can you read 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 1 Corinthians 7, 7? First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with them. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin the person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with the woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband shall give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, and one of one kind and one of another. Perfect. Thank you, Eric. Okay. I want you to consider that last verse, especially single brothers and sisters, where the Apostle Paul talks about his singleness as a gift from God, as well as marriage being a gift from God. And it's not that one gift is better than the other. They are different. They bring different challenges and they have different blessings, okay? But they each have a place in the local church where our unity and holiness is in Christ, okay? Not in marriage, not in singleness, it's in Christ. They are gifts. And that means they are both gifts that are to be given to Christ and to the church, okay? So your singleness is to be used for Christ and the church in a unique way. But your marriage and your family and your children are not to be an excuse for withdrawing from the church, but they're to be given to the church in a unique and special way in the way in which you serve, okay? And that's when the two become one flesh and a husband and wife are serving together in the church. And by extension, when they have kids or they have family, their family is going to come and serve in the church. And it's going to look different than when you were single, okay? Now, this text is frequently abused. Okay, it seems to be this text is used frequently out of selfishness for people to justify what they want. So very frequently, I've had this verse where singles have come and said to me, hey, you know what, I, I don't want to get married, I'm just going to be single because here it is. Okay, or others of I need to get married because of this or spouses come and say, you know, my spouse is not intimate with me often enough. Don't they know they're not being a faithful spouse, be it a husband or a wife, okay? And in fact, we have to shepherd couples, not infrequently afterwards, where during really busy, busy seasons, 
Okay, husband's working crazy hours, traveling. Hey, you have a responsibility, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Your wife needs you. You're there, Ephesians 5, to cherish and nurture her and hold her close, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Can't be all the time, okay, 24-7. God's given you an abundance of responsibilities, but when you're gone for two or three months at a time, you know, and you think of some of these missionaries who are gone for two or three months, and, and now many of the missions boards are reevaluating, considering, okay, was this really a godly thing that we're calling them to do? Okay, so look, this gets abused, as scripture frequently does, just like Judas did, where people come in and they look for that little line that, that suggests what they're not getting and they use it. Okay, but Paul, when we see it wide angle lens and look at this, the whole text here, our aim is to be pleasing to Christ and to please our brothers and sisters in Christ and to please our spouses, okay? Physical intimacy, your aim is not to satisfy yourself, but to please your spouse. And that means before you can do that, you need to know how to love them as Christ loves them. Men, you need to learn to live with your wife in an understanding way as with the weaker vessel. Women, you need to honor your husband and show him the respect that he needs as Lord in the house, okay? Both of those things, when they're operating, you have a beautiful and safe place. But if a wife is disrespecting her husband, the husband's not going to want physical intimacy with the wife. Similarly, if a husband does not know how to live with his wife in an understanding way, you know, well, get away from me, okay? But ultimately, when we look at this together, we have to see that this is a gift that was given by God that needs to be handled with care. And it begins with Christ. And once Christ is removed out of the picture, this gets ugly really, really quickly. Okay. And what I want to close with as we're coming to an end is one application, one principle, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Have a look at that if you would. This is our last time together, so you're getting a lot of scripture, okay? So you're getting the whole, the whole bucket. Not quite the whole bucket, but as much as I can give you. Ephesians 4, okay? Ephesians 4 and 5, and especially married couples and those with kids, look, this is just going to be an anchor, an anchor, an anchor. I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to this, and it's just given guidance during hard times. Ephesians 4, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know, we've got to stop and say, okay, how does he start? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, is Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, is that the hallmark of our relationships in church? Is that the hallmark of our marriage? Is that the hallmark of the wedding and marriage bed? Is that the hallmark of our families? Are we walking in a manner worthy of our calling with which we've been called? Are we doing so with humility and with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love? Okay, married couples, what I always say for... For, for new, um, new couples, the way of the world is you've got to sleep with your spouse before you get married. You've got to get all those kinks out. You've got to find out whether you're compatible or not, okay? 
The Lord does it the opposite. You're set apart for your spouse in holiness, okay? Because your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord and it belongs to your spouse. So there's this idea that comes through in church, in every relationship and in life. You've been called to protect the holiness and unity of this relationship. And you protect it, brothers and sisters, by walking with Christ. When you're not walking with Christ, you are not protecting your holiness and your unity with Christ. You're not protecting your unity and holiness in the local church. And you certainly won't be protecting your holiness and unity with your spouse. And by extension, when children come in too. There's this idea that you, it's a lot of hard work to pursue unity. It's the sacrifice of the cross. We're not saying hard work saves you. We're saying that when you're saved, it's a sacrificial life of pursuing your spouse, of being patient with your spouse, of bearing one another's sins, of pursuing them in the Lord, protecting that unity because God has given you a precious gift. This relationship, after your relationship with Christ, okay, and the relationships in the church, it's a sacred and holy gift. How are you going to handle that? Are you going to discard it or abuse it or exploit it? Or are you going to use it in the way that Christ has called you to? One application I want to bring in. There's been a term that's been used and increasing use in our church recently that's come up in a number of counseling sessions, okay? If you've used it, brothers and sisters, I'm not picking on you. It's been used a fair amount. It's the term gaslighting, okay? And you may be familiar with it. There's also some of the other terms, cancel culture is, is some of them, but gaslighting refers to a manipulative relationship where someone is being abused, where the abuser is making the person who's being abused out to be crazy, okay? Now, you know, there's variations on that theme. I wanna raise this, okay? Because your homework is to read 1 Corinthians 13. God has given us a gospel way to deal with problems in a relationship. The way is if there's sin, we go to God's word. We address sin as God calls us. We deal with it vertically and we deal with it horizontally. And either we resolve this with forgiveness and reconciliation, or we bring someone else in from the church to say, help us to resolve this and come under the word of the Lord. We deal with this on Christ's terms. When we start to go down the path of accusing our spouses, or we start to accuse others in the church, leaders in the church of, okay, you're making me out, you're victimizing. I'm, when we bring all the psychologized language of abuse that comes from the world, that has no framework of God in it, okay? We're bringing the world into our relationships. And then we end up in this bondage of perpetual victim and abuse, victim and abuse, victim and abuse. Am I saying there's no abuse out there? No, I'm not. Am I saying there are no victims? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is the remedy for abuse and being a victim is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Joseph. Joseph was abused, but he made his way through through promises and faith in God, and he was able to forgive his brothers in due time. And we look at what Christ does. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
And so I, I want to raise this to say how we think and how we interact, how we blame, okay, can be a way and bringing in the world's economy and the world's way of speaking, okay, and bringing in this economy of victim abuse when removing God from it, what we are doing is we are not protecting the unity of the church. Because the only way we can protect the unity of the church is to deal with sin God's way and not the world's way, okay? And I say that because many of the things that we're seeing on Instagram and social media, many of those discussions, as we bring those things into our relationship, we're bringing a Trojan horse that ultimately is going to destroy our intimacy with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's also going to destroy our intimacy and our relationship with one another in the local church. And the opposite way of thinking in those situations is, it starts with the principle that my body and who I am belongs to me and no one else. But when we come into Christ, we realize we leave that at the door. Our bodies, our lives, our time, our children, our money, they belong to Christ, they belong to his family, they belong to our spouses, not to ourselves. Okay, separate checking accounts. Guys, we need to think about that. Is there a reason for a couple who are one flesh to have separate checking accounts? Is there a reason for a couple who come together to have two separate lives? Okay, is there a reason for a couple who are coming together to be set apart? So one of the things that I encourage couples very frequently after you get married is, Think very seriously about an area in the church where you can serve together. It's not that there's something wrong with you serving separately, but what a sweet thing to give your marriage to the Lord and have an opportunity in some way, shape, or form for the two of you to be together and to give to the Lord and walk together, to really do everything you can to be eager to pursue unity in humility and gentleness and to walk worthy of the gospel. Okay, listen, that's the end of our time together. Thank you for listening. I'm sure I've raised a bunch of questions. You can ask me individually when you see me. And uh, for those who are in the premarital, we'll keep you afterwards and you guys can ask questions. Um, but at the end of the day, hopefully we'll remember that God's gospel is good. He has saved us for himself. He has good plans for us. And he will show those good plans in the fruit of our relationships. Kevin, I'm going to hand it back to you. Great. Thank you, Mark. Um, so I'll just be closing um, the time for the, the, I guess, the public portion of this meeting. Uh, we will be keeping back the those who are going through premarital formally afterwards, but let me just close our time in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much, Lord. You are good. And you have shown us in your word, Lord, your blueprint and your plan uh, for our lives, for our marriages, for our parenting, for all of these things, Lord. And it really does start with the fact that you are a God, that you are our Lord and Savior. And everything that we have been given is a gift from you and not to be uh, kept for ourselves, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would protect us, help us, protect us from our own sinfulness, protect us from our own selfishness, Lord. And we know that you have given us hope and new life through Christ, Lord, that we don't have to live for ourselves. And that is true in the way that we give. That's, the tr that's true in the way that we go about our lives and our marriages and our parenting, Lord, that these things belong to you, Lord. 
And the best place for us is not to uh, preserve these things uh, on our own strength for ourselves selfishly, but to remember that they're meant for you, meant for your glory. And that's also what's best for us, Lord. So thank you, Father, for these truths uh, that can be easy to forget, particularly when we're bombarded with the world's um, idolatry and ideologies, Lord, about uh, how we should go about these things. But Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word, which turns the wisdom of the world on its head, Lord. And I pray that we would be able to walk by faith in your truth, in your word, Lord, and that we would be able to experience and see your goodness even better, Lord, through it. So thank you, Father, for the time that we've had in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.